welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. I want to welcome you in particular if you are visiting with us or you're here for the first time or if you're joining us online for the first time, all of you doing church at home. We are so glad that you are a part of us today. We feel that God has uh, gently brought you here to be with us a church that is focused on the truth of Jesus Christ and is here to help you grow in your faith when you meet Him. Now, of course, as we all know, we're living in the middle of a global pandemic. And when it all started, a bunch of people were told, hey, you're essential and you're non-essential. So we thought it might be fun to ask the question, what does God think is essential? And the answer to that is found in the book of Ephesians. And it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a predominantly Gentile church in the city of Ephesus. And this is a city which is in kind of modern-day Turkey. Uh, It's right in the center part of Turkey, uh, just east of Istanbul. Now, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, We're going to pick up where my son preached last week on marriage, and if you're just visiting with us or new today, you'll see the irony in that. It's kind of funny watching my newly married son talk about marriage. I I, I particularly enjoyed how awkward that was for him, and uh, that's fun. Uh, But today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to pick up uh, the whole notion of how all of the teaching in chapter 1 and chapter 2 applies to the different areas of our life. And today it's all about parenting. And the reason why is because, number one, God says parenting is essential. The other reason why is because today in this, I mean, parents, I think, are more overwhelmed now than they ever were before. It used to be just having kids was a curveball, but now having kids and trying to work full-time from home, trying to homeschool them with their school stuff. Uh, I heard a story just recently of uh, a couple. They have kids, and you know they're high-capacity people, very, very successful. One in law, one's a physician. They sat down, and she went over her assignments for her kids you know, from the school, and she just started to weep because she didn't realize how many assignments were missing, and she's just like, this is so overwhelming. It's kind of like this here. Uh, I'm a Tom Hanks fan, fan, and the first time you're a parent, right? Look, at he's wearing a tux. And then one month later, it's kind of the wide-eyed thing, and then four years and two more kids later, it's like, Wilson! <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy, man. However, if you are a parent, I want you to know you're doing it right. This next picture will show you how to do it right. If you're crazy, then you're definitely doing it right. So today I have a couple goals for you and my message, and that is simply this. Is I wanna, if you're a parent, I want to inspire you. And I want to inspire you because God's plan is enacted through you. You are God's plan. You were a co-creator with God when that life was given to you and it became a living soul. You are co-developers with God. You really are. You are partnering with God to help inspire and mold and shape children into functioning adults and souls who can respond to God's grace in faith. So you're partnering with God in this process. I also would like to inspire future and parents, and even some of you who've never had the blessing of being a parent. And the reason why is because what we're going to talk about today is critically important for all men and for all 
women. And then finally, I want to challenge you to see things from a totally different perspective. So today I might say a few things that I hope really challenge. Uh, uh, sometimes I call them being salty. They're a little salty today. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the ancient, unchanging truths that we find in Ephesians chapter 6, and we are going to insert them into today's circumstances. So let's get started, and I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3. And here's what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's a very important qualifier. And then he goes, the reason you should do this is because it is right. Then he quotes an Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments are listed out. He says, honor your father and mother. Then he adds his own, because this isn't in the original one of the Ten Commandments, which is the first commandment with a promise. Then he goes back to quoting it again. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, Paul does something really interesting in these three verses. First of all, he gives an instruction. He says, children, you must obey your parents. Okay, the other thing he does is he bases it on one of the Ten Commandments. But he does modify this commandment a little bit. If you go back into Deuteronomy chapter 5, you'll notice that this commandment finishes that you may enjoy long life in the land that God is giving to you. And that kind of gives it the flavor of the Old Testament cause and effect covenant. And it was like a contract with God. You hold up your end, you get the land. But if you don't hold up your end, the, the land will be taken away. That, is, of course, is exactly what happened. And so when it is translated into the New Testament, what Paul does is he says, here's a biblical principle that translates into the new uh, covenant. And that is, children, the Lord wants you to obey your parents, okay? Now, just a couple other things that are insightful about this little passage that I think you should know, and that is, is that this was a letter that was sent to the church. And so this letter would have been written down on a scroll just like this, uh, similar to what in, in our Bible, except for they would uh, unroll it, they'd read it backwards. That's for another message. Um, but uh, what, would ha- what would happen is they were reading it to everybody in the service, in the church service. And so guess who would be listening to this? Well, parents and children listen together. So on the one hand, parents obey your, uh, or children obey your parents in the Lord, uh, for this is right. So children would hear that, but also parents would hear it. And the whole point of this and the parents hearing it is this, is that parents, it's your responsibility, this is why you're essential, to create a culture where honor and healthy respect for biblical authority is uh, communicated and happens. The other thing, too, is when he says, do this in the Lord, for it is right, this is written to the household of God. It's not written to every single person out there who's a parent. It's not a blanket statement saying that every kid has to obey every parent that ever existed. It's all about in the household of God, creating a culture or a context in which your children learn how to obey rightly through honor and respect. And this allows children to thrive in that culture. So that's what he's doing in this verse. And so I want to move on and say, what does it actually then mean to obey? 
when he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Well, by quoting the ten, one of the Ten Commandments, what he's saying is that obedience is defined by honor. So in order for us to understand this today, we have to do a little historical philosophy. I'm really sorry about that. But ideas matter. What people believe really, really matters. And in this case, there is a difference between worldly honor and biblical honor. The world defines honor completely differently than the the way Paul does in the New Testament. So what we're going to do is talk about worldly honor real quick, and I want you to just get a feel for this. And that is worldly honor kind of works like this, okay? First and foremost, and that is society says that you can give honor to whatever is worthy of honor or something you deem worthy of honor. So if you're on a sports team, right, you only respect the coach and honor the coach if they're worthy of it. Meaning, are they looking out for your best interest? Are they always making the right call and doing the right thing? If you're at work, you only respect your manager or supervisor if they're worthy of it and if they're functioning in a way where your best interest uh, is in their uh, agenda. And And finally, you only honor your parents You only honor your mom. You only honor your father if they are worthy of it. This is what our culture has taught for quite some time. Now, the other thing that you have to realize is our culture is not, American society is not a Christian philosophical society anymore. That ended in the 60s, okay? And what today is, the driving theme is postmodernism, and I talk about this in my podcast each week. Uh, I did it last week. It's called The Salty Pastor. So that's a shameless plug for everybody to go find The Salty Pastor. You can get out our phone app, and you can find it right there on the, the dynamic screen right up front and listen to it. But in, in postmodernism, there's this thing called deconstructionism. Okay, I know that's a big word, but basically what it means is it turns everybody into a skeptic, right? Particularly a skeptic of any truth claim. And so the bottom line is how it's worked since the 60s, and now everybody's been raised this way, is that if you could just find one thing wrong with a, 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 a principle or an institution or something, it allows you to throw the whole thing out or reject the whole thing in its entirety. It's kind of like this. You buy a box of nails, right? And in there you have a bent nail, so you throw the whole box out because if one's bad, then they all must be bad. This is a very uh, easy thing to do, and it allows you to become a very dishonoring person in our society because guess what? Everybody's flawed. Every coach that you will ever play for is flawed, and they're going to make mistakes, sometimes massive ones. Every boss or supervisor or owner that you ever work for is flawed because they're imperfect human beings, and they're going to make mistakes. Every teacher, every person of authority, even your own parents are flawed, and they're going to make mistakes. So this principle of deconstructionism coupled with you only honor what you deem worthy as honor turns you into a dishonoring person. And I have seen this 
philosophy really seep into our culture and really make a massive difference in the lives of a lot of people. Case in point, single people who want to fall in love and get married. You see, a lot of people who are single today and they want to they want to get married or people who are unlucky in love and have issues in, in their intimate or, or their marital life or whatever, is without realizing it, they were uh, hurt in their past, their family of origin. Maybe they realize it, but they kind of grew up and so they have, they really want to be in love. They'd love to have a family or they'd love to have a marriage or they'd lo- they love uh, to, to have some type of intimate, close relationship. But the, the family of origin, they received a little bit of hurt or wounds from that because of the maybe their parents failed, right? So what happens is, is that now they go out and they start dating. And because they have this fear, as soon as they find one thing wrong, right, with that other person, then they go, oh, we're done. We're out of here. Red flag, I'm out. You know, now sometimes the red flag is important. Don't, don't take me the wrong way. I'm, what I am saying though is this, is that what I have found is that single people today have trouble finding love and finding intimacy because of this philosophical deconstructionism that's running around subconsciously in the back of their mind. So what's the effect? <clears throat> Not just in your single life, but just across the board in our society. Well, here's the effect. C.S. Lewis said it this way, we mock honor and then we wonder why they are traitors in our midst. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we mock honor, we mock it, and then people betray us, and we wonder why. So we mock parents, especially bad ones, and I get it, bad ones might deserve being mocked. But when we mock parents and all parents, how can we wonder why we grow up in the world today and see the children become adults and create the world in which we live? We can't wonder about that anymore. Ideas and philosophies are important because they make a difference. Now let's go from the world's attitude and let's go over to the biblical definition of honor. And here it is, is that you honor because you, when you give honor, it creates a nobility and an affirmation within you. You don't wait until something is worthy of honor. What you do is you give honor because of who you are. When you give honor, it says a lot more about you than anything else. Now, you may feel like your parents were abject failures at parenting, and I want you to know you are not alone. You are not alone in feeling that way because many parents, especially today, are failures. They didn't do a good job. But the primary question is this. Do you want to be free from their failure? Do you want to be a healthy person even in the midst of growing up in a toxic or an unhealthy environment? Well, the way you do that is you discover biblical honor. And this is really important because 
<clears throat> biblical honor is what is going to set us free from every single one of these unhealthy things, whether they be your family, whether it be your own marriage, whether it uh, be patterns from your past, or even institutions in our society today. Now, one of the things that I really find fascinating is that uh, I, I just want you to know how this works and kind of filters out into every area of your life, not just in your family and not just in your intimate or uh, marital type relationships. But I, I need to say this, uh, and that is this. I honor democracy. I honor it. And the reason I honor it is because, not, not because it's a perfect form of government, because guess what? That doesn't exist anywhere and democracy is probably one of the messiest forms of government, in all honesty. It's kind of like sausage, you know? You really love sausage. You don't want to see how sausage is made, you know, kind of a thing. You really love hot dogs, right? Man, a really great brat or a hot dog on the grill. Isn't that awesome? You really don't want to see how they're made. You just want to cook it and eat it. So, but guess what? I honor democracy because I value the principles it aspires to. There's always going to be corrupt politicians, there's always going to be shady government bureaucrats, and there's always going to be outside influencers trying to manipulate it. Sometimes they'll succeed, sometimes they won't. But I'm not a deconstructionist. I am not a deconstructionist. I do not believe in the silly notion that flawed human beings are going to create a perfect utopia. It's impossible. It will never happen. So what I do is I honor, I honor what democracy aspires to do and be. I also honor the police. I honor sheriff's deputies. I honor federal agents. And I honor the military. You know why? I honor it because I value peace and security. I honor the goal of justice for all. When women are being abused or they're victims of domestic violence, it's cops who show up and save them. When children are being uh, trafficked or they're being uh, abused, it's cops who show up and rescue them. As a church that works with the poor, our church has a food pantry that feeds over 3,000 people a month. Our food pantry... And our other ministries are some of the largest in all of the Treasure Valley. We work with the poor all the time at every level. And I can tell you the thing that propagates poverty and an ongoing cycle of poverty is insecurity. It's violence. And the one thing that stands against that in those poor communities is police officers who go in and do that. Cops are the ones who are trained. Cops are the instructed. They're guided. They're held accountable. They take the risk for the safety of every person, regardless of their ethnicity, social status, or political affiliation. I honor the values that they aspire to. That's why I give them honor, right? Now, in all honesty, as a pastor, uh, I drive uh, like most pastors do, and that is one foot on the gas pedal and one foot in heaven. I, that's how I drive. And so I have had interactions with our, our police officers on numerous occasions, right? I want you to know something. They've always acted professional. Most of the time they act professional with me, even if it's not, it's no big deal. Uh, but it's never been a pleasant experience for me. And the reason why is because in Hebrews it says this. It says, no one likes discipline ever. <laughs> you know, and that cop shows up and 
and, and he, he disciplines you with a, a big fat ticket. Um, and, and so that's not, I, who likes that? Nobody does. Nobody does that. But does that mean that I disvalue what they aspire to do or the role that they play? May it never be. You see, I, I honor the values that they aspire to, equality, fairness, justice, safety, protection, service. And if we can't honor that anymore, then our society will be lost. And on a personal note, I am absolutely shocked that I have to preach on this as a pastor. I'm shocked. I mean, our media has lost its collective mind. It has just gone off the cliff. Our politicians, both sides are absolutely incapable of defending the most basic human rights like justice for all and equal treatment under the law. The notion that these things should be politicized, the notion that we need to have a fight or argument about them shows how incredibly lost our society has become. So I'm shocked that I have to actually preach this and bring it up, but I must. Because the truth of the matter is, is when biblical honor and that principle of honor is lost, all society falls apart. All society falls apart. If you really want a deep dive, go read G.K. Chesterton on it. Boy, he was a brilliant man uh, in the early 20th century who wrote extensively about these things. Phenomenally gifted writer, insightful. So, but let me get personal let me, for you personally, all of you here who are either listening or you're right here in the room right now, and that is this, is if you lose, if you lose the biblical definition of honor in your own life, then your whole life will unravel. And you, if you were raised in a toxic environment, you will forever be trapped in a cycle of toxic and unhealthy relationships. So learn the biblical principle of honor because it's your path to freedom. It's how you overcome the dysfunctions of the past, and it's how you go into the future. A, a number of years ago, I don't know, three or four years ago, I was at a conference in another state, and we broke up into small groups, and there was this young man, he's probably 28, 29 years old, he was in the military, he was an officer, he was uh, very, very well respected, he was married, had a couple kids, and I'm like, man, isn't this awesome to see these just sharp people, it just gives you hope in the future and all this kind of stuff. He starts to tell a story, it's an amazing story. He talks about how he was raised in a single home and his, never saw his dad. He had no father in the picture. And when he was in high school, he said, I was a hellion. I was in all kinds of trouble. I was being expelled. I was running with the wrong people. My mom couldn't control me, you know, because I was a big guy. And so he, he was able to play some sports, and that allowed him just enough to be able to get out of high school and go to college. And he started other things, and then he eventually graduated from college. But when he was in college, he said, I got really, really bad, and I was under the influence of numerous things. I got pulled over by a cop. That didn't go well, he said. And then I was sentenced, and I had to go to AA, and I had to do community service. So I picked community service in a church. I don't know why, but I did. I thought maybe it would, they'd go easy on me. He goes, they didn't. And he said, while I was there, he said, uh, I got invited to a Wild at Heart uh, boot camp. And he goes, in Wild at Heart, it's designed for young men, or all men, but young men in particular, to find their true masculine heart in Jesus Christ, right? 
And he said, they got to a point where they were talking about the wound of the father, and he said, it just totally unmade me. It just totally ripped me apart. And he said, it was in that moment that I realized I needed Jesus and I came to know Jesus. And he said, but even after I was saved and walking a redeemed life in Christ, it took me a while to discover how honoring my mother and father was the path to set me free and become the man I am today. So learn this principle. It'll be one of the most powerful things that you ever do in your life. Whether you're a father or not a father, it doesn't matter. It's the principle that transforms your life. So let's read verse 4 and see how this works, okay? And because it has to do with men, we're going to particularly apply it to men. Verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, the fact that he singles out men here, because in other places he uses mothers and fathers, as you saw earlier in the passage, when he talks about uh, parents and other situations, I think here he does this because he uniquely has a uh, focus to show the importance of fathers in the family unit. Every man should endeavor to be a father, whether you have biological children or not. You can be a father figure or a mentor or an actual father, and when you aspire to that in any young person's life, you will will achieve the greatest calling and mission in your life that you will ever experience. It will bring more meaning. It will bring more purpose, direction, fulfillment, and joy in your life. When you as a man aspire to be a father or a father figure or a mentor to a young person. Why? Because this is what God designed you to do. You see, men, you are called to be co-builders with Christ. Now, as a woman is a co-creator of life and she carries the child, and I want to explain something to you that maybe uh, most people don't get, and that is, is that men and women are different. And women can do something magical and wonderful. It's one of the greatest mysteries, and that is they can carry a child and give birth. It's super cool, right? It's almost like a a superhero power that they have that's so cool. And But men, just because you don't have that doesn't mean that you aren't to be involved and totally engaged in being a father and a father figure to your children or to other children that are growing up. In, in uh, our church right now, our men's ministry has been growing very, very rapidly. And the reason why is over a year ago, uh, prior to the pandemic, what happened is we started this thing called the Principle of the Five. And so what we did is we just challenged all the men in the leadership team to just take out a card and write on it the names of five other men that you would like to influence for the kingdom of God. And then each day, pray for them, reach out, give them a shout out, go do something, you know, go golf, go to a game, go hunting, go trap shooting, whatever it is that you want to do, fish, whatever, it doesn't matter across the board. Um, But just try to keep these five guys prevalent in your mind and just try to influence them for the kingdom of God. Well, now we have almost 50 men involved in discipleship in in our church. And by the end of this year, we think we're going to have over 75 men involved 
in discipleship. And so what happened is when the pandemic came, we just expanded that to the whole church. And we just asked people, practice the principle of the five. It doesn't take any effort to write down five names of people that you want to influence for the kingdom of God. Maybe it's your children, write their names down there. Maybe it's a neighbor or an extended family member or a friend. Because the, the reason why is because if, if women lose the concept of honor and if men lose the concept of honor and if men can't engage with being a father figure, a mentor, or an actual father, then the whole world will literally fall apart. Now, how do I know that? Well, it's called the curse of fatherlessness, and it comes out of the book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, it says the following. And it's, it's uh, uh, the last, this verse, verse 5, and this verse 6 are the two last verses in the Old Testament. So this is it until 400 years when Christ shows up, okay? So what he says is, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah, and we believe he's referring to uh, Jesus, the Messiah. It's a messianic prophecy. I will send the Messiah, the prophet Elijah, to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord when it comes. And this is the final judgment that they talk about in the book of Revelation. And he says the Messiah will do what? He will turn the hearts of the parents. Now, the original Hebrew word is father. So he will turn the hearts of the parents or the father, where? To their children. And the hearts of the children, where? To their children parents to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, in the Old Testament, this was a cause-effect thing. So anything bad happened, God got the credit for it because of the contract of the covenant. Under the new covenant, the principle stays the same, but under the covenant of grace, these are things that fall under what is commonly known as the natural law. And that is, this is the outcome because that's just the way like physics work. It's just the natural law. And that is when we get rid of fathers and they don't honor anymore or practice being fathers or engage in being fathers or do anything with fathers, guess what? The whole world unravels. And it's the same thing for women. When women abandon motherhood or abandon honoring uh, mothers and fathers, guess what? The whole world unravels. And that's what you are seeing happening right now in our world. So what's the answer? What is the answer? Well, here is the answer. He says, instead, bring them up, right, in the instruction of the Lord. So let's break this down and go step by step, okay? Instead, bring them up. That means that you need to have a plan, okay? Now, most of the time, dads, what you do is you have kids, and after you get over the initial shock, and once you learn how to change a diaper, uh, I just want you to know, when I first started changing diapers, I was like, I was slow. I was like a sloth, you know. Which way's up? Man, after two kids, I would time myself. I could change a diaper in 18 seconds. Of course, you had to buy the di diapers with the Velcro, you know. If I had to use pins, I don't think I could have ever done that. But anyway, you have to, you, you grow up, you get over that shock as a dad, and you think, oh, well, these are the things I didn't like growing up, right? I wish my parents wouldn't have done that, or my dad wouldn't have done that. I'm not going to do that, right? So you have all these ideas. But what happens is you never actually ask yourself, what is my plan? Just stuff that you don't want to do is not a plan. How do I know that? Well, 
All of you people who are married or you've been dating someone for quite a while, what happens if a day pops up where you don't have anywhere to, you know, no kids or no responsibilities? It's like an instant date night, you know? It's like, wow, we have, let's go out to dinner. And then you have this conversation that kind of goes like this. Awesome. Where do you want to go to dinner? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. You pick. Well, I'm thinking about this new Mexican place down there that I heard open. Oh, I don't feel like Mexican at all. Okay, well, how about we try that new Italian place, right? Let's go do Italian. No, I'm just not feeling pasta. You know, it's kind of heavy and, and stuff like that. How about barbecue? You know, barbecue, oh, you know, smoked meats is always... Oh, we always eat there. I'm tired of that. I want to do something new. And so what happens is you start talking about all the places you don't want to go, right? And you know where that conversation always ends? Everybody who's married or dated a long time is going to attest to this, right? It gets to the end and you go, you know, it's just so awesome how much we love each other that we don't have to go out to dinner and have a nice place to, you know, it's no big deal. Is that how that conversation ends? No. The reason why people are laughing is because that's called sarcasm. What happens is like, I don't care. Would you just make up your mind? I'm starving to death, right? Is, is it, it always kind of becomes a conflict. Why? Because you don't have a plan. Telling, saying, I don't want this and I don't want that isn't a parenting plan. You've got to have a plan. Bring them up means plan on how to raise them. Set goals and work towards those goals. Parenting based on I want, don't want to do that is not a plan. So you're not bringing them up. The next thing is, is he says this, bring them up in the training. What is training? Training is simply doing the same thing over and over and over again so you get better at it. Practice. Practice your parenting. You have to have a process for learning the virtues. Did you know everything? Love, patience, peace, kindness, discipline, self-control, courage, confidence, hard work. These are things that don't happen naturally in the life of children. Every one of them must be taught, and you can only teach them if you're training them in practicing them. So you've got to bring them up, have a plan, and then you've got to have a process for training where you practice it over, over again, and you must do this in the instruction. What does that mean? Well, in the instruction, it means as you're sharing truth, you want to connect truth to the results. Like, for instance, if you have a young child and they're learning how to ride their bike and you go, yeah, you did it. You see, you, you fell a few times and scraped your knee, but guess what? You kept trying and what happened? You succeeded. Always keep trying. Or something happens where they tell the truth and they get burned for it. But what you do is you work through it, and then over time you go, look, see, you've t- you told the truth. Initially it was bad, but now look at how it's turning out. Always tell the truth. See, what you're doing is you're connecting the truth of the virtue to the results that they're receiving. If they get a good t- score on a test, you go, see, you worked hard, and you studied, and you did better. Whenever you do that, what you're doing is you're instructing them. And then finally, you must do it in the Lord. That's the last thing he says. You must do all of this in the Lord. Why would he say that? He says because you must choose your source where your biblical definition of honor is going to be or whether it's going to be a worldly definition of honor. Which one will it be? That's what he's doing. Because I'll tell you what, not choosing is actually a choice 
from the world. So if you choose the world, you're going to get a world outcome. If you wait to choose, you're going to get a world outcome. You must intentionally choose Jesus Christ to be the source of how you're going to raise your children. And why is that? Because you parents are essential, every single one of you, whether you're a parent biologically or not. Every adult out there can be an adult parent figure in the life of somebody else. Why? Because it's us choosing to honor, us choosing to honor God and to honor the virtues that He has given us as we want to see them instilled in the lives of other people. Let's never forget that as Rachel takes us out. Now is the time in our worship service where we all decide our next step with what we've just been challenged to do. I hope you take another step forward in your faith. It is not what we dream, hope, or intend to do. It is what we actually do. The tangible steps we take, what we end up actually doing, determines where we end up. Foothills is a church where we hope and we pray you are going to end up in a different place than you are today. A new place where you are closer to Jesus. Your faith is stronger. You know what you believe and why you believe it in order that you live life with courage and conviction. So take your next step today. If it's time to meet Jesus personally, download the booklet. If it's time to get baptized, simply text the word FH Baptism to 97000. If you need prayer, text Foothills Prayers to 97000. And then you can record your prayer request and we will pray for you. If you are doing church at home, please further your conversation and go deeper by doing the discussion questions. If you are visiting and on campus, stop by our welcome kiosk because we have a gift just for you on your way out.